Chapter Two of South Sea Idols by Charles Warren Stoddard. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Two: Chumming with a Savage, Part One. Kanaana. There was a little brown rain cloud that blew over in about three minutes, and Bolabola's thatched hut was dry as a haystack in less than half that time. Those tropical sprays are not much, anyhow, so I lounged down into the banana patch, for I thought I saw something white there, something white and fluttering, moving about. I knew pretty well what it was, and didn't go after it on an uncertainty. The doctor looked savage. Whenever he slung those saddlebags over his left shoulder, and swung his right arm clean out from his body like the regulator of a steam engine, you might know that his steam was pretty well up. I turned to look back as he was strapping up his beast of burden till the poor animal's body was positively waspish. Then he climbed into his saddle and sullenly plunged down the trail toward the precipice and never said good-bye or God bless you or any of those harmless tags that come in so well when you don't know how to cut off your last words. I solemnly declare, and this without malice, the doctor was perfectly savage. Now, do you know what demoralized that doctor? How we came to a misunderstanding? Or why we parted company? It was simply because here was a glorious valley inhabited by a mild, half-civilized people who seemed to love me at first sight. I don't believe I disliked them either. Well, they asked me to stop with them, and I felt just like it. I wanted to stop and be natural, but the doctor thought otherwise of my intentions, and that was the origin of the row. The next thing I knew, the doctor had got up the great precipice, and I was quite alone with two hundred dusky fellows, only two of whom could speak a syllable of English, and I the sole representative of the superior white within twenty miles alone with cannibals. Perhaps they were cannibals. They had magnificent teeth, at any rate, and could bite through an inch and a half sugar-cane and not break a jaw. For the first time that summer I began to moralize a little. Was it best to have kicked against the doctor's judgment? Perhaps not. But it is best to be careful how you begin to moralize too early. You deprive yourself of a great deal of fun in that way. If you want to do anything particularly, I should advise you to do it, and then be sufficiently sorry to make it all square. I'm not so sure that I was wrong, after all. Fate, or the doctor, or something else, brought me first to this loveliest of valleys, so shut out from everything but itself that there were no temptations which might not be satisfied. Well, here, as I was looking about at the singular loveliness of the place, you know, this was my first glimpse of its abrupt walls, hung with tapestries of fern and clambering convolvulus. At one end, two exquisite waterfalls, rivaling one another in whiteness and airiness. At the other, the sea, the real South Sea, breaking and foaming over a genuine reef, and even rippling the placid current of the river that slipped quietly down to its embracing tide from the deep basins at these waterfalls. Right in the midst of all this, before I had been ten minutes in the valley, I saw a straw hat, bound with wreaths of fern and melee, 
under it a snow-white garment rather short all around low in the neck and with no sleeves whatever there was no sex to that garment it was the spontaneous offspring of a scant material and a large necessity i'd seen plenty of that sort of thing but never upon a model like this so entirely tropical almost oriental as this singular phenomenon made directly for me and having come within reach there stopped and stayed i asked its name using one of my seven stock phrases for the purpose i found that it was called kanaana down it went into my notebook for i knew i was to have an experience with this young zion of a race of chiefs sure enough i have had it he continued to regard me steadily without embarrassment he seated himself before me i felt myself at the mercy of one whose calm analysis was questioning every motive of my soul this sage inquirer was perhaps sixteen years of age his eye was so earnest and so honest i could return his look i saw a round full rather girlish face lips ripe and expressive not quite so sensual as those of most of his race not a bad nose by any means eyes perfectly glorious regular almonds with the mythical lashes that sweep etc etc the smile which presently transfigured his face was of the nature that flatters you into submission against your will having weighed me in his balance and you may be sure his instincts didn't cheat him they don't do that sort of thing he placed his two hands on my two knees and declared i was his best friend as he was mine i must come at once to his house and there live always with him what could i do but go he pointed me to his lodge across the river saying there was his home and mine by this time my native without a master was quite exhausted i wonder what would have happened if someone hadn't come to my rescue just at that moment of trial with a fresh vocabulary as it was we settled the matter at once this was our little plan an entirely private arrangement between kanaana and myself i was to leave with the doctor in an hour but at the expiration of a week we should both return hither then i would stop with him and the doctor could go his way there was an immense amount of secrecy and many vows and i was almost crying when the doctor hurried me up that terrible precipice and we lost sight of the beautiful valley kanaana swore he would watch continually for my return and i vowed i'd hurry back and so we parted looking down from the heights i thought i could distinguish his white garment at any rate i knew the little fellow was somewhere about feeling as miserably as i felt and nobody has any business to feel worse how many times i thought of him through the week i was always wondering if he still thought of me i had found those natives to be impulsive demonstrative and i feared inconstant yet why should he forget me having so little to remember in his idle life while i could still think of him and put aside a hundred pleasant memories for his sake the whole island was a delight to me i often wondered if i should ever again behold such a series of valleys hills and highlands in so small a compass that land is a world in miniature 
the dearest spot of which to me was that secluded valley for there was a young soul watching for my return that was rather a slow week for me but it ended finally and just at sunset on the day appointed the doctor and i found ourselves back on the edge of the valley i looked all up and down its green expanse regarding every living creature in the hope of discovering kanaana in the attitude of the watcher i let the doctor ride ahead of me on the trail to bolabola's hut and it was quite in the twilight when i heard the approach of a swift horseman i turned and at that moment there was a collision of two constitutions that were just fitted for one another and all the doubts and apprehensions of the week just over were indignantly dismissed for kanaana and i were one and inseparable which was perfectly satisfactory to both parties the plot which had been thickening all the week culminated then much to the disgust of the doctor who had kept his watchful eye upon me all these days to my advantage as he supposed there was no disguising our project any longer so i out with it as mildly as possible there was a dear fellow here i said who loved me and wanted me to live with him all his people wanted me to stop also his mother and his grandmother had specially desired it they didn't care for money they had much love for me and therefore employed me to stay a little then the valley was most beautiful i was tired after our hard riding i needed rest his mother and his grandmother assured me that i needed rest now why not let me rest here a while the doctor looked very grave i knew that he misunderstood me placed a wrong interpretation upon my motives the worse for him i say he tried to talk me over to the paths of virtue and propriety but i wouldn't be talked over then the final blast was blown war was declared at once the doctor never spoke again but to abuse me and off he rode in high dudgeon and the sun kept going down on his wrath thereupon i renounced all the follies of this world actually hating civilization and feeling entirely above the formalities of society i resolved on the spot to be a barbarian and perhaps dwell for ever and ever in this secluded spot and here i am back to the beginning of this story just after the shower at bulabala's hut as the doctor rode off alone and in anger that resolution was considerable for me to make i found by the time the doctor was out of sight and i was quite alone with the natives regarding me so curiously that i was very tired indeed so kanaana brought up his horse got me on to it in some way or other and mounted behind me to pilot the animal and sustain me in my first bareback act over the sand we went and through the river to his hut where i was taken in fed and petted in every possible way and finally put to bed where kanaana monopolized me growling in true savage fashion if any one came near me i didn't sleep much after all i think i must have been excited i thought how strangely i was situated alone in a wilderness among barbarians my bosom friend who was hugging me like a young bear not able to speak one syllable of english and i very shaky on a few bad phrases in his tongue we too lay upon an enormous old-fashioned bed with high posts very high they seemed to me in the dim rushlight 
The natives always burn a small light after dark. Some superstition or other prompts it. The bed, well stocked with pillows or cushions of various sizes, covered with bright-colored chintz, was hung about with numerous shawls, so that I might be dreadfully modest behind them. It was quite a grand affair, gotten up expressly for my benefit. The rest of the house, all in one room as usual, was covered with mats, on which various recumbent forms and several individual snores betrayed the proximity of Kana'ana's relatives. How queer the whole atmosphere of the place was! The heavy beams of the house were of some rare wood, which, being polished, looked like colossal sticks of peanut candy." slender canes were bound across this framework and the soft dried grass of the meadows were braided over it all completing our tenement and making it as fresh and sweet as new-mown hay the natives have a passion for perfumes little bunches of sweet-smelling herbs hung in the peak of the roof and wreaths of fragrant berries were strung in various parts of the house i found our bedposts festooned with them in the morning oh that bed it might have come from england in the elizabethan era and been wrecked off the coast hence the mystery of its presence it was big enough for a mormon there was a little opening in the room opposite our bed you might call it a window i suppose the sun shining through it made our tent of shawls perfectly gorgeous in crimson light barred and starred with gold I lifted our bed curtain and watched the rocks through this window, the shining rocks with the sea leaping above them in the sun. There were cocoa palms so slender they seemed to cast no shadow, while their fringed leaves glistened like frostwork as the sun glanced over them. A bit of cliff also, remote and misty, running far into the sea, was just visible from my pyramid of pillows. I wondered what more I could ask for to delight the eye. Kana'ana was still asleep, but he never let loose his hold on me, as though he feared his pale-faced friend would fade away from him. He lay close by me. His sleek figure, supple and graceful in repose, was the embodiment of free, untrammeled youth. You who are brought up under cover know nothing of its luxuriousness. How I long to take him over the sea with me, and show him something of life as we find it. Thinking upon it, I dropped off into one of those delicious morning naps. I awoke again presently. My companion in arms was the occasion this time. He had awakened, stolen softly away, resumed his single garment, said garment and all others he considered superfluous after dark, and had prepared for me with his own hands a breakfast which he now declared to me in violent and suggestive pantomime was already to be eaten it was not a bad bill of fare fresh fish taro poi and goat's milk i ate as well as i could under the circumstances i found that robinson crusoe must have had some tedious rehearsals before he acquired that perfect resignation to providence which delights us in book form there was a veritable and most unexpected tablecloth for me alone i do not presume to question the nature of its miraculous appearance dishes there were dishes if you're not particular as to shape or completeness forks with a prong or two a bent and abbreviated prong or two knives that had survived their handles and one solitary spoon 
all these were tributes of the two generous people who for the first time in their lives were at the inconvenience of entertaining a distinguished stranger hence this reckless display of tableware i ate as well as i could but surely not enough to satisfy my crony for when i had finished eating he sat about two hours in deep and depressing silence at the expiration of which time he suddenly darted off on his bareback steed and was gone till dark when he returned with a fat mutton slung over his animal now mutton doesn't grow wild thereabout neither were his relative shepherds consequently in eating i asked no questions for conscience sake the series of entertainments offered me were such as the little valley had not known for years canoe rides up and down the winding stream bathings in the sea and in the river and in every possible bit of water at all possible hours expeditions into the recesses of the mountains to the waterfalls that plunged into cool basins of fern and cresses and to the orange grove through acres and acres of guava orchards some climbing up the precipices goat hunting once or twice as far as a solitary cavern said to be haunted these tramps always by daylight then a new course of bathings and sailings interspersed with monotonous singing and occasional smokes under the eaves of the hut at evening if it is a question how long a man may withstand the seductions of nature and the consolations and conveniences of the state of nature i have solved it in one case for i was as natural as possible in about three days i wonder if i was growing to feel more at home or more hungry that i found an appetite at last equal to any table that was offered me chicken was added to my already bountiful rations nicely cooked by being swathed in a broad succulent leaf and roasted or steeped in hot ashes i ate it with my fingers using the leaf for a platter almost every day something new was offered at the door for my edification now a net full of large guavas or mangoes or a sack of leaves crammed with most delicious oranges from the mountains that seemed to have absorbed the very dew of heaven they were so fresh and sweet immense lemons perfumed the house waiting to make me a capital drink those superb citrons with their rough golden crust refreshed me coconuts were heaped at the door and yams grown miles away were sent for so that i might be satisfied all these additions to my table were the result of long and vigorous arguments between the respective heads of the house i detected trouble and anxiety in their expressive faces i picked out a word here and there which betrayed their secret sorrow no assertions no remonstrances on my part had the slightest effect upon the poor souls who believed i was starving eat i must at all hours and in all places and eat moreover before they would touch a mouthful so nature teaches her children a hospitality which all the arts of the capital cannot affect i wonder what it was that finally made me restless and eager to see new faces perhaps my unhappy disposition that urged me thither and then lured me back to the pride of life and the glory of the world certain i am that kanaana never wearied me with his attentions though they were incessant day and night he was by me 
when he was silent i knew he was conceiving some surprise in the shape of a new fruit or a new view to beguile me i was indeed beguiled i was growing to like the little heathen altogether too well what should i do when i was at last compelled to return out of my seclusion and find no soul so faithful and loving in all the earth beside day by day this thought grew upon me and with it i realized the necessity of a speedy departure there were those in the world i could still remember with that exquisitely painful pleasure that is the secret of true love those still voices seemed incessantly calling me and something in my heart answered them of its own accord how strangely idle the days had grown we used to lie by the hour kanaana and i watching a strip of sand on which a wild poppy was nodding in the wind this poppy seemed to me typical of their life in the quiet valley living only to occupy so much space in the universe it buds blossoms goes to seed dies and is forgotten these natives do not even distinguish the memory of their great dead if they ever had any it was the legend of some mythical god that kanaana told me and of which i could not understand a twentieth part a god whose triumphs were achieved in an age beyond the comprehension of the very people who were delivering his story by word of mouth from generation to generation watching the sea was a great source of amusement with us i discovered in our long watches that there is a very complicated and magnificent rhythm in its solemn song this wave that breaks upon the shore is the heaviest of a series that preceded it and these were greater and less alternately every fifteen or twenty minutes over this dual impulse the tides prevail while through the year there is a variation in their rise and fall what an intricate and wonderful mechanism regulates and repairs all this there was an entertainment in watching a particular cliff in a peculiar light at a certain hour and finding soon enough that change visited even that hidden quarter of the globe the exquisite perfection of this moment for instance is not again repeated on to-morrow or the day after but in its stead appears some new tent or picture which perhaps does not satisfy like this that was the most distressing disappointment that came upon us there i used to spend half an hour in idly observing the splendid curtains of our bed swing in the light air from the sea and i have speculated for days upon the probable destiny awaiting one of those superb spiders with a tremendous stomach and a striped waistcoat looking a century old as he clung tenaciously to the fringes of our canopy we had fitful spells of conversation upon some trivial theme after long intervals of intense silence we began to develop symptoms of imbecility there was laughter at the least occurrence though quite barren of humour also eating and drinking to pass the time bathing to make oneself cool after the heat and drowsiness of the day so life flowed out in an unruffled current and so the prodigal lived riotously and wasted his substance there came a day when we promised ourselves an actual occurrence in our crusoe life someone had seen a floating object far out at sea it might be a boat adrift and in truth it looked very like a boat 
two or three canoes darted off through the surf to the rescue while we gathered on the rocks watching and ruminating it was long before the rescuers returned and then they came empty-handed it was only a log after all drifted probably from america we talked it all over there by the shore and went home to renew the subject it lasted us a week or more and we kept harping upon it till that log drifting slowly oh how slowly from the far mainland to our island seemed almost to overpower me with a sense of the unutterable loneliness of its voyage i used to lie and think about it and get very solemn indeed then Kanaana would think of some fresh appetizer or other and try to make me merry with good feeding again and again he would come with a delicious banana to the bed where i was lying and insist upon my gorging myself when i had but barely recovered from a late orgy of fruit flesh or fowl he would mesmerize me into a most refreshing sleep with a prolonged and pleasing manipulation it was a reminiscence of the baths of stamboul not to be withstood from this sleep i would presently be wakened by kanaana's performance upon a rude sort of harp that gave out a weird and eccentric music the mouth being applied to the instrument words were pronounced in a guttural voice while the fingers twanged the strings in measure it was a flow of monotones shaped into legends and lyrics i liked it amazingly all the better perhaps that it was as good as greek to me for i understood it as little as i understood the strange and persuasive silence of that beloved place which seemed slowly but surely weaving a spell of enchantment about me i resolved to desert peremptorily and managed to hire a canoe and a couple of natives to cross the channel with me there were other reasons for this prompt action hour by hour i was beginning to realize one of the inevitable results of time my boots were giving out their best sides were the uppers and their soles had about left them as i walked i could no longer disguise this pitiful fact it was getting hard on me especially in the gravel yet regularly each morning my pieces of boot were carefully oiled then rubbed or petted or coked into some sort of a polish which was a labour of love oh kanaana how could you wring my soul with those touching offices of friendship those kindnesses unfailing unsurpassed having resolved to sail early in the morning before the drowsy citizens of the valley had fairly shaken the dew out of their forelocks all that day my last with kanaana i breathed about me silent benedictions and farewells i could not begin to do enough for kanaana who was more than ever devoted to me he almost seemed to suspect our sudden separation for he clung to me with a sort of subdued desperation that was the day he took from his head his hat a very neat one plaited by his mother insisting that i should wear it mine was quite in tatters while he went bareheaded in the sun that hat hangs in my room now the only tangible relic of my prodigal days my plan was to steal off at dawn while he slept to awaken my native crew and escape to sea before my absence was detected i dared not trust a parting with him before the eyes of the valley well i managed to wake and rouse my sailor boys 
To tell the truth, I didn't sleep a wink that night. We launched the canoe, entered, put off, and had safely mounted the second big roller just as it broke under us with terrific power, when I heard a shrill cry above the roar of the waters. I knew the voice and its import. There was Kana'ana rushing madly toward us. He had discovered all, and couldn't even wait for that white garment, but ran after us like one gone daft, and plunged into the cold sea, calling my name over and over as he fought the breakers. I urged the natives forward. I knew if he overtook us I should never be able to escape again. We fairly flew over the water. I saw him rise and fall with the swell, looking like a seal, for it was his second nature, this surf-swimming. I believe in my heart I wished the paddle would break or the canoe split on the reef, though all the time I was urging the rascals forward. And they, like stupids, took me at my word. They couldn't break a paddle or get on the reef or have any sort of an accident. Presently we rounded the headland, the same hazy point I used to watch from the grass house, through the little window of a sunshiny morning. There we lost sight of the valley and the grass house and everything that was associated with the past, but that was nothing. We lost sight of the little sea-god Kana'ana, shaking the spray from his forehead like a porpoise, and this was all in all. I didn't care for anything else after that, or anybody else either. I went straight home and got civilized again, or partly so, at least. I've never seen the doctor since, and never want to. He had no business to take me there, or leave me there. I couldn't make up my mind to stay, yet I'm always dying to go back again. So I grew tired over my husks. I arose and went unto my father. I wanted to finish up the prodigal business. I ran and fell upon his neck and kissed him and said unto him, Father, if I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight, I'm afraid I don't care much. Don't kill anything. I don't want any calf. Take back the ring. I don't deserve it for I'd give more this minute to see that dear little velvet-skinned, coffee-colored Kana'ana than anything else in the wide world, because he hates business, and so do I. He's a regular brick, father, molded of the purest clay and baked in God's sunshine. He's about half-sunshine himself, and above all others, and more than anyone else ever can, he loved your prodigal. End of chapter 2